Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. Good morning. We had just an amazing week last week. Uh, We did five services, had just under 2,000 people here and um, on on our premises, another 300 online. So we had 2,300 people involved in our services last week. And uh, over 50 people indicated they prayed to receive Christ. So we're excited about that week. Appreciate all you did. Make that. Give yourselves a hand. Give God a hand. That's a good time. Um, You know, today I I really thought that I was, last week I was looking at, you know, the prophecies leading up to or about the resurrection. And then um, I I really thought that I would, I, I wanted to focus on the appearances of Jesus to people after his resurrection. And, you know, we all know some of the stories or can remember some of those things. And one of the things that I just never, it never hit me like it did this time, but I, there's some things I want to share with you, but we're going to begin in Acts uh, 1-3, and that's our introductory verse. And if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are, and I talked about them a little bit last week. There's a time, um, it, it alludes to it in 1 Corinthians about where Jesus appeared before 500 people. And, you know, there, it says that there are several. We don't know all of the, the times that he appeared. It talks about things in general. But one of the things that really struck me is I was looking through all of the, the specific accounts of when Jesus appeared to the disciples or to various people. Something that just never struck me as much perhaps before as it did this time was how personal each one of those instances was. It wasn't just a, hey, here I am, I'm alive, I want y'all to know, all right, I'm out and gone. Um, Jesus met with people and came and appeared at different times in just some really, I felt like, encouraging ways. And there was, you know, you would think that, that it would be, um, you know, more globally minded. Well, I want everybody to know, but it was, it was really more about I want you to know. And it was with individual people in small groups, and it was directed in certain ways. And so I want us to look at those different things. And each one of them really does kind of apply to things that either Jesus said about himself or that it says in other parts of the word about the character of God. And one of the first things is Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. It says, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. You know, it it talks about how Jesus has come not to, to push people to the side who are the most vulnerable or who are hurting or, or who are in the most difficult positions. And I think you see that in this first passage we're going to look at. The first person that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been demon possessed. Jesus cast out the demon. We don't, it doesn't give a specific account of that, but we know that because of, it's found in the gospel of Mark. Uh, many believe that she was a, a prostitute. She came from a difficult background 
And she lived at a time where women were not valued in Jewish society. As a matter of fact, there was a saying among rabbis at the time that it would be better to burn the law of God than it would be to give it to a woman. So pretty snarky thing to say, but that's what they said. And yet Jesus came and he, he elevated women as equals in the kingdom of God. And he showed them and, and, and protected them and loved them. And here's Mary Magdalene, and she's come from this background, and she's dropped everything to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. Her protector, her deliverer, the one that watched over her, and now she, she probably feels like she has no one. And so she shows up at the tomb on Sunday morning um, to take care of the body of Jesus because they had to bury him in such haste on Friday that they could not go through the... Uh, taking care of the body, and, and they would anoint it with oils and, and make sure that it was wrapped carefully. And so she shows up even before daylight on Sunday. She had to wait till the Sabbath was over as well to show up on Sunday to take care of Jesus' body. And she goes to the tomb, and, and lo and behold, the, the stone's been rolled away, and there's no one in there. And these angels appear to her and say, who are you looking for? He's not here. He's risen. And even then, and, and I, want to, I want to tell you one thing up front. There is not a single person amongst the disciples, amongst the followers of Christ, the apostles, not one single person that jumps out at any time after Jesus resurrected and said, I knew this was going to happen. Not one of them got it. No one understood. Not a single one of them. And you know what? It's, it's, it's easy for us to look back and go, man, those must have been some dense people, but we hadn't experienced life the way they had. And if, if I were to tell you that somebody that had died is coming back to life and they're going to show up today, y'all be like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, of course they're going to come back to life. In the resurrection at the end, of course they're still alive with God, but you wouldn't think about it happening here. None of us would. And none of them thought so either. And even when the angels tell them, or these two bright, shining people say, hey, he's not here, he's risen, she still doesn't get it. And so it says she turned to leave, and, and then all of a sudden, this is one of the cool things about Jesus in, the, in these passages, is he, has the, he just shows up at these specific times and in these situations, and some of them are really cool. It's like, I mean, that would have been really cool to have that body where you just, boom, oh, y'all talking about me? Here I am. But he does all these things. And so here he is, and he shows up. She sees someone now standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? You know, that's another thing that Jesus does. You know, when God asks a question, he always knows the answer. So he asks this question. He knows who she's looking for. He knows why she's crying. And it says she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. She's weeping. She's mourning the loss of Jesus and the, just the aloneness that she must have felt. And then Jesus does something that he just says, Mary. She turned to him and immediately knew who it was. And you know, for all of us, this is like, oh, she's the first person. This is cool. Jesus is resurrected. And we should think that way. But I also want you to see how personal this was. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 3, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, 
and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so she's there and she's in front of Jesus and she doesn't realize who it is until he calls her name. And then she knows. She cries out. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. And the reason he's telling that is because another account tells us that they, the, the women fell at his feet. There were other women that were there. The other, another gospel tells us. And they're worshiping him at his feet. And he's saying, look, don't cling to me now. Just for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, before we get to this last part of this passage, we all tell stories. You know, we tell stories. I pass things along sometimes. I don't know about you, but nowadays in the world we live in, you're not sure somebody's hoaxing you or not. You're not sure something's real or not. I mean, a few weeks ago when we had a tornado, within moments, this picture appears on, on the interwebs, on the social medias of downtown around the courthouse, and there's a, like a twister in that picture. Any of y'all seen that? And it, it was a pretty good job. It looks real. And I'm like, something about that just doesn't quite seem right. But maybe it's true. Well, then come to find out later on, I'm not sure if they were trying to fool people or not, but it, it wasn't real. Somebody had photoshopped a couple of pictures together. And so, you know, there were people saying, hey, I'm not sure if this is real, but here it is. And you're like, wow, that's a cool, that's a cool picture. And so we kind of, sometimes we share stories like that. And we're like, I don't know if this is real or, or, or not, but here, look at this. Whoa, whoa, look at that, what a picture. And sometimes somebody tells us that we trust. Hey, I saw this, and we might say, hey, man, I didn't see it, but a friend of mine saw this thing that happened. And we can tell it with a little more confidence. Hey, I trust him. I, I, I believe this happened. You know, and, and you hear about things all the time. Everybody's telling different stories. But there's, then there's a story that's kind of different. And that's the one where you go to your friends and say, hey, man, I saw this. I saw it. Or it happened to me. Or I was there. And that's a different kind of story. And so when Mary Magdalene finds the disciples, she tells them, I have seen the Lord. Now, if that last part with Jesus hadn't happened, she might have gone back and said, hey, I, the body wasn't there. I mean, I don't know. These two dudes told me that he's risen. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just telling y'all what somebody told me. I'm just telling y'all what the deal was. But she didn't come in saying that. She didn't even mention those dudes. She says, I have seen the Lord. Because let me tell you what she is now. She's not just somebody telling a story. She's not passing along information. She's a witness. She's a witness. And you know what? In our society, for thousands of years, an eyewitness is one of, if not the most important pieces of evidence. She's a witness. And Jesus showed up to her in maybe what might have been one of the worst moments of her life. Because I want you to think she's going out of love, 
but she's going to dress for burial the body of, of the one man, the one person that loved her more than anybody else, the one that delivered her, the one that changed her, the one that changed her life. And she's going to take care of his body. And she's weeping. And she goes from that to crying out, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message, what Jesus told her to tell him. But the first words out of her mouth, I've seen the Lord. You know, this next story is about two guys. We only know the name of one of them because he speaks in it. The other guy is not in, apparently, he didn't even get his name in the Bible. I mean, he's there. He's the other guy. So we have Cleopas and the other guy, whoever the other guy is. But here's the thing. They were disciples of Jesus. And, and they followed through all these things, and they saw everything that happened. And now Jesus has been crucified. He's gone. They've even heard about what Mary told. But guess what? They're leaving Jerusalem. The rest of the disciples are there. Some of the followers of Jesus are still there. They're, they're like, well, I, we're, not, we're not sure what's happening. But they're so downcast. They're so discouraged. They're leaving. They're gone. Maybe they're going back to their lives. We don't know what it is. Maybe they're heading on with business. But for them, it's like, all right, it's over. And Jesus doesn't just go, okay, see you guys later. He shows up. 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God who encourages those who are discouraged. That's what God does. He encourages those who are discouraged. You know, sometimes we can feel guilty about being discouraged. Sometimes we can feel guilty. You know, I mean, there's always that thought, what do you have to be down about? What do you have to, I mean, you know, there's always that part. But God understands that we get discouraged. And the Bible says he's the encourager of those who are discouraged. And so Luke 20, man, that was a new, somebody shoot off like one of them Star Wars guns in here? That's what it sounded kind of like. Don't shoot it at me. It'd be, I'd appreciate it. So anyway, it says, same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they're talking about everything that happened. They're going over it again. Well, what do you think about that? What do you think that means, what these girls talk? What is, what is going on? As they, this is one of those cool Jesus moments with his resurrected body thing. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So he asked them, once again, there's one of them questions. So what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? <laughs> they stopped short, immediately, boom. And sadness is written all over their face. I mean, you can't hide it. Then one of them, Cleopas, the guy who gets his name in, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there the last few days. And then Jesus goes, oh, what things? <laughs> God's got to have a sense of humor. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. 
You know, you notice they call him a prophet. They saw all those things. They could tell you the stories about what, what Jesus did. But now it seems it's over. And they go on and they say, you know, we had hoped, man, we, we'd hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. So that, they thought God was coming to do certain things. But it didn't turn out that way, and now they don't know what to do with it. And they, then they say, you know, some women from our group showed and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. And then some other guys ran out, and they said, yeah, the, the, the body's gone. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, Jesus didn't just leave it at you foolish people. He went through and explained. And you know, here's the thing. All the things he told them about the prophecies and what the, the, the scriptures said, they knew all those things. They knew all those scriptures. They just didn't connect them to Jesus. They could have probably taught a class about the prophecies about the Messiah. They knew about the Messiah. If they were Jews, they had been taught since they were children. Hey, the Messiah's coming one of these days and we're going to wipe out these Romans and we're going we're to take over and take our rightful place back. We're going to take back the, the, the land God gave us, the promised land. We're going to take back Jerusalem. It's going to be ours again. He's going to lead us back to prominence. They knew all the scriptures, but then Jesus connected them to not only him, but what he had done. And it still hadn't got through. Now, by that time, they're near Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So we went home with them. As they sat down, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, boom, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then Jesus doing cool Jesus things, boom, gone. Disappeared right in that moment. Because they're probably going, there he is. He's, he got, they don't even get it out. Gee, boom, gone. So now what are they going to do? They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. You know, that's part of coming to faith in Christ. I grew up in church. I heard the scriptures every week. I heard about salvation all the time. But then there was that time when it burned in my heart. And I felt like even though I was in this room of, with a lot of people, in this, in this place with hundreds and hundreds of people, where I felt like God was just talking to me, they felt that, partly because God was just talking to them. But their hearts burned with the scriptures, scriptures they'd heard over and over again. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. You know, that's one of the 
the undeniable things about people that have a genuine experience with Jesus is it changes the course of their life. Wherever they were going, all gone now. Boom. They turned around and headed back to Jerusalem. Because you know what? They went from being people that were talking about Jesus and what happened and talking about what other people said to now, guess what? Guess why it's different? They're witnesses. They've seen him. They've spoken with him. They know that he's alive. They're not just telling, hey, you know what? I know there's some other people that talked about, they said they thought he was alive. Now they're coming back saying, we have seen the Lord. Cleopas, Cleopas saw him and so did me, the other guy. We know, we saw him. We've seen Jesus. And now everything's different. You know, he comes back to encourage the downcast. They're encouraged now. They're re-energized. They're revitalized. Their life's changed. It changed their direction. It changed the way they thought about things. All of a sudden, it wasn't just, hey, here's what we wanted. Here's who he is. And it wasn't just, we're not sure what's going on. We're still, we still don't know, but we've seen him. We know now. Jesus also came back to strengthen those who doubt. And those who struggle. Matthew 11, 28, 30, after Jesus went to this town and did miracles and no one came to faith, he chastised the town. But then here's what he said in verse 11, 28 through 30 in Matthew. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know what Jesus says? Come to me. You're weary. You're discouraged. You don't know what's going on. You have doubts. Come to me. I'll teach you. I'll show you. Now, the two guys from Emmaus in Luke 24 get back, and they tell the story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus appears right there among them. Shows up right there among them. Jesus himself, this, I want to give you my reading of how I think things would have gone. All right, this is my impression. They rec as just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. That's how I'd have done it if I was Jesus, wouldn't y'all? Because you know what people, they start falling back. Here's what the Bible says. It says the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. If I was Jesus, I'd been laughing. I mean, it scared the snot out of them. And it would any of us too. Because they're there, they're intent, they're listening to these guys. I mean, can you imagine? And then we recognized it was Jesus and boom, there he is. That's awesome. The whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Can't you see Jesus walking around the room? Everybody's there. I want you to know 
Touch me. Look at my feet. Look at my hands. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. You know, there's part of them that, that, and that's what we do when something stresses us out or changes us or changes what we think about things, is they're like, Can this, is this really happening? And Jesus takes some time. He says, y'all got anything to eat? <laughs> and they brought him a piece of fish, and he said, ghosts don't eat, and he's eating a piece of fish. I mean, I want you to, you know, you, you see these things and it's like, man, all these things, they are proof. But gosh, how, how personal God is here. You know, don't, it's, it's fascinating to me that the time where he appeared to 500 and that's when, you know, he, they told him, hey, be out at the, this mountain that's outside Galilee and and, and Jesus met him there and showed himself to all those people. But those aren't the, the ones that we hear about. You know who the ones that we hear about? It's when the eyewitnesses are telling when they first saw Jesus. And they remember every detail. He came to restore those who've fallen. Those who've sinned, those who've blown it. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single thought. Peter, Peter was a big talker. Now, Peter was a guy with a lot of natural courage. He's the one who pulled out a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, there's, there's no doubting that Peter had courage. And yet, you know what? When Jesus started talking about his death, Peter's pride took over. He said, that's not happening to you, Jesus. Matthew 26, 35, no, Peter insisted, even if I have to, to die with you, I will never deny you. Now, here's the part that, you know, we know that. But you know what the next part said? All the other disciples vowed the same. So everybody made the vow, but Peter made it. He's the one who said it. Peter was the guy all the rest of the disciples would go, hey, you ask Jesus. And Peter would go say stuff and ask him questions. I mean, you know, Peter was that guy. He wasn't scared to say or ask anything. And in another place, he said, you know, no matter what happens, even if all the rest of these dudes turn their back, I ain't leaving you. And you know what he was saying? He said, I love you more than they do. Jesus told him, he said, before this day's over, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. Peter said, nah. But when he found himself on the third time, when somebody, a little slave girl asked him, weren't you with Jesus? 
He cursed and said, I don't even know the man. And in Matthew 26, 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. So, you know, for Peter, it had to have been, I mean, talk about conflicted emotions. Jesus is alive. But Jesus knows what I did. My friend, the one I followed, the one who I declared is the son of God. He's come back to life. But he knows that I failed him. I mean, when the chips were down, in that moment of the, the biggest opportunity that I ever had to stand up for Jesus and to show him how much I loved him, I blew it. So they're sitting around, and Jesus appeared once or twice, and Peter just says, hey, you know what? Time to go fishing. And six of the other disciples said, yeah, let's go. So they all went fishing. Fished all night, didn't catch a thing. In the morning time, there's a guy on the shore, and he calls out to him. You know, that's what guys do. If you have a guy, if you have a guy and he walks down on the, on the bank by the river or, or the, at, the, at the beach or on a bridge or anywhere somebody's fishing, what's a guy going to do? Hey, y'all caught anything? How's it going? That's what we do. And this guy calls out, you caught anything? Nope. And then just like the rest of us, well, have you tried this bait? Have you tried this thing? You know, we, we try to help. But the guy on the beach says, throw your net on the other side, which was exactly what Jesus had done earlier in life. So what did they do? They went through it over the other side. And they started pulling fish in. They couldn't even get the, the, the net was so full, they couldn't even get in the boat. And John looks around and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter jumps over into the sea and swims. You know what? We don't know what or anything was said there. I wonder if Peter started thinking halfway over, what am I going to say to him? We don't know. But we do know that Jesus fed him. He said, you got to bring some fish. He fixed some fish. And they ate there on the, on the beach. And then Jesus asked Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? And I believe he was talking about the disciples. Do you, do you love me more than you love these other guys love me? And he goes, yes, Lord, I love you. And I don't want to get too caught up in the Greek, and sometimes I think we overemphasize it. But Jesus asked him, Peter, do you agape me? Which is sacrificial love, sacrifice anything and everything kind of love. And Peter responds back, yeah, Lord, I, I love you just like I love a brother. I phileo you. That's where we, the word, the city Philadelphia comes from. It means love between brothers. And he asks him again the same things, and Peter gives the same answer. And then the third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. But this time when Jesus asked him, he said, Lord, he said, he said Peter, do you love me like a brother? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. He used the same word. And feed my sheep. Tells him about how he's going to 
die and bring glory to God. And then the last thing Jesus told him, he said, follow me. You know, here's the lesson I think we get from that. Sometimes, you know, I come across people all the time. I say, hey, Jesus can forgive anything. And most of us have something. Man, we got something that we've done. And maybe the Satan's just worked us over on it. Or maybe, maybe it, for whatever reason, we're like, can he forgive that? Because we have a hard time getting over it. We have a hard time letting go of, uh, and just acknowledging that we could even do that. Peter never crossed his mind that when the moment came and Jesus was being tried and beaten and whipped, that he would turn his back on him. But he did. And now here's Jesus, and he's saying, look, just follow me. Follow me. And the whole key to all this is this. Jesus isn't looking for people that can go around and state a bunch of facts about the resurrection. Hey, those things are good to know. Don't get me wrong. It's good to know the prophecies. It's good to know the, the facts of the resurrection. It's good to know that, you know what, this is not just some fantasy story. There's historical proof. There's all kinds of Proof that, that the Bible is true, that, that Jesus rose from the dead, that, that there really was this city and that city that's talked about. It, it's good to know all those things. But Jesus is not simply looking for people who have a good grasp of the facts. In Luke 24, verses 44 through 48, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And then he says something. He says, you are witnesses of all these things. You see, he didn't send them out because he gave them an education. He sent them out because they had seen for themselves that all of those things that had been written were true. And now here's the deal. He's looking for the same thing today. Hey, it's good to be able to recite facts. It's good to be able to say, here's what the scripture says. But ultimately, you need to be a witness. Hey, and I want you to know something. I believe these things. Yeah, the, I believe the Bible's true and the Bible says them. But you want to know what else I can tell you? Is I believe these things because I've seen Jesus. I hadn't seen him in the flesh, but he changed my life. You see, this is what my life was like before. And then I met Jesus, and here's what my life is like now. You know what? I was a demon-possessed prostitute, and then I met Jesus, and my life changed forever. We were walking away. 
from the things of God. We were doubting and discouraged and down. And then guess what? I saw Jesus and it turned us around and it changed us. Hey, you know what? I failed Jesus more than anybody could. I did the worst thing I could imagine having done to him. I denied even knowing him and I cursed when I did it. But then guess what? Jesus showed up and he changed me and he forgave me. And my life's never been the same. Later on, Peter was brought before the Sanhedrin, before the court, and they told him to stop preaching. You know what Peter said? Would we please you rather than God? He said, we're not stopping. And so they whipped him and sent him out. And you know what Peter did? He rejoiced because he had been found worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. You want to know why? Because he was changed. He was a witness now. And that's what God wants from you. He's looking for witnesses. And you know what? People will argue this and they'll argue that. And you know what? You can't bring out physical, well, here, here's proof of this or that or whatever. Hey, there's tons of it. I, I, I really believe there is. I've seen it. But ultimately, you know what people are arrested by? It's not by the facts you recite. It's when you... Give them an account. You tell them something they cannot argue with. You can say all those things you want to, but let me tell you something you can't argue with, and that is, I've met Jesus, and he changed my life. My life's different now than it was before I met him. And you can argue about all the things you want to, but you can't argue with that because I, I'm a witness to that. I saw it. I lived it. It's my story. And I'm testifying. He's looking for witnesses. Now, as believers, here's something I believe. You know, I've always been, I, I remember hearing this years and years ago that I ought to have a 24-hour or, a, a, or at least a one-week testimony, that I ought to be able to say something in the last 24 hours in the last week where I've seen God. I've seen God move. I've seen God do something. God's spoken to me. I ought to have a testimony. What's God doing in your life? What have you seen? Have you heard from God? We ought to have a testimony. And, and let me tell you, it's good to be able to go back. If you've particularly been saved in a long time, to, to yeah, hey, here's where, he, here's where I met him, and here's where he changed my life. But it didn't end there. I'm going I'm to testify about something he did this week. We need to have a fresh testimony about what God's doing in our lives because God's alive. And then for some of us, you know what? You can recite a lot of facts. You know a lot of things about him, but you don't have that eyewitness part. But that can change today. That you, you can walk, maybe you walked in here saying, yeah, you know what, I, I know that this is true and that that's true and believe that happened and all that. But you can walk out of here saying, look, man, I'm a witness because I've met Jesus and it changed me and it changed the direction of my life.
You know, there are certain things you just will never understand until you meet Jesus. You can understand all the facts about it. You know, and I'd heard it many times before that day, that night, when God was speaking to me. And when I met Jesus. And it's really simple how you meet him. He's not going to show up in the flesh, but you'll know him. Number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner for all sin and falling short of the glory of God. We all have to come to that place. We've got to ask forgiveness of our sins. Second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose on the third day. And then the last thing is you've got to believe. You know, Thomas, when he, Jesus appeared to him, my Lord and my God, he fell on his knees and he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. And you got to confess Jesus as Lord. You got to turn away from your life and turn to him. It doesn't mean, I get it a lot. You've probably been trying to do good. But you got to turn away from sin and understand you can't do it on your own. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the deal. You want to be, you, you want to be a witness? You want to know God? You ain't going to know everything. But if you'd like an introduction, I'd love to introduce you to, to Jesus, to his Father. And it starts with just acknowledging those three things. If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you have peace with God, that you're his forever. And if you'd like to know that you're going to be with him in all eternity, I want to invite you to pray this prayer of salvation with me today. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to lead you in this prayer. You can repeat the words after me. Or you can pray them in your own words. But if, if that's you and you'd like to be a witness and you'd like to know Jesus, you pray this with me now. Just pray it in your heart. God will hear you. But pray it with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I've sinned. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus, your son, died on the cross for my sins and rose on the third day that I might have life. So today I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of anyone else. But here's what I want to do. I, I want you to look up at me and keep looking. You prayed that prayer today, look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you because I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you. Okay? All right? Okay? All right, see you. Got you. Okay.
Now here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're here with your parents, I want to tell I want you to tell your parents as soon as the service is over, it's important. You tell someone to have them. They can contact one of our children's ministers and they'd love to sit down with you and talk you through and make sure you understand everything and answer any questions. Or if you're an adult or a teenager, there's a number on the screen that you can text save to that number. There's a QR code there. You can contact us that way. Or at the end of the service, there'll be a staff member here at the front and you can come talk to somebody. We'll have somebody talk to you today or we can set up a time with you. All we want to do is answer any questions you have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. So we'll be in touch with you if you text us or go through that form. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you. And so I want to pray for you right now and pray for those of us as believers that, you know, maybe we've forgotten we're, we're to be a witness. We're to, we're to be able to say, yeah, I met Jesus and I know him. Maybe we've forgotten that part and we need to get back to living in relationship with Jesus because Jesus came so that we might know him personally. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for those that made a decision today to trust you. And Father, I pray for encouragement in their life. I pray, God, that you would continue to call their name and continue to speak to them. Father, through your word and through other believers that would encourage them, pray for blessings upon them. Father, help them to understand fully what it means to be your child. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be a part of their journey. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.